folks, and welcome back to another South Pole podcast. My name is Becky Zarzinski, and I'm your co-host for today's episode. In today's show, Doyle and I get to interview another one of our newly appointed board members, Mr. Rodney Cravens, from Lone Pine Farm in Hartville, Missouri. Now, by day, Rodney is actually a principal at an elementary school, and by evening, weekends, and holidays, he farms with his father. Now, they started in the South Pole breed back in 2014 by using South Pole full-blood bulls on their herd and have been using the Breed Up program. They've been farming on their family farm since 1918 and currently are running about 180 females on 700 to 900 acres, depending on their leased land. And Ronnie does go into detail on the benefits and challenges of leasing land and shares a little bit of his story. So let's jump on in and see what Rodney has to share with us today. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the South Pole Podcast. Today, Doyle and I are chatting with a newly appointed board member, Mr. Rodney Cravens from Lone Pine Farm near Hartville, Missouri. And uh, so hello, gentlemen. How are y'all doing tonight? Great. Great. Awesome. Well, let's just jump right on in. And uh, Rodney, I know by day you are an elementary school principal. So tell us how you got into farming and agriculture. Yeah, so I've, I've been around agriculture my whole life. Um, I actually grew up on a dairy farm where my, my dad dairied for 32 years. And uh, he bred AI that entire time. And so uh, we had registered Holsteins. Uh, so. I've, I've always been interested in agriculture, specifically cattle. Um, always kind of had a knack for picking out the good ones um, and could always remember the cows. Uh, but I really didn't see myself going into agriculture. Never was an FFA or anything like that because I was always busy playing sports. And uh, so at a pretty young age, I, I knew that I wanted to be a, a high school basketball coach someday so kind of followed that passion and um, went into education which is something that is very important in my family my grandfather was a, a teacher for 31 years I think and have two aunts that are teachers and my mother is an elementary teacher so um, kind of went that route tried to impact uh, kids positively uh, but just couldn't couldn't uh, get rid of the farm itch I guess, and uh, we had an opportunity to, to move back uh, to the home farm, uh, actually bought 80 acres that joins it. And so now my dad and I, we can farm together and uh, it's definitely a passion. Great, that's awesome. So help, to help give us a little more context on your farming operation. Um, if you want to disclose how many acres you guys run or, or what kind of livestock, obviously you have South Poles or else you wouldn't be on here tonight talking about uh, South Poles, but uh, give us a little more context on your farm. Um, how many yeah. animals, what kind of, what kind of animals operation you're running? Okay. So um, I'm, I'm figuring this up. Uh, I think on a normal year, we have control of about 750 acres. Um Dad owns 440 acres, and then I own 80 that joins it. And then we have, uh, every year we have three rent places. Um, and this, this last year, we were able to pick up a couple more. And uh, so 
most years we have about 750 acres that we control. This year it was closer to, uh, I think, uh, 900 acres. Um, but, uh, you know, we just were able to pick up a, pick up some, some additional lease ground. But um, as far as cattle, we're strictly a cow-calf enterprise. Um, we, we do background our steers um, and depending on the availability of grass kind of depends on how long we background our steers. We also keep all of our own uh, females, uh, all of our heifers for replacements and at least expose them, which we'll talk about that later, I'm sure. But um, currently we have 180 females, uh, which is really probably too many. Um, of those 80 are mine and 100 are mom and dad's, but we run them all together and I pay, pay rent. And uh, that's kind of the way our, our operation works. So we've seen some pictures of you, your stuff on Facebook and seen quite a few cattle. Yeah. And maybe I've seen a little collar here and there, but yeah, obviously you're in South Pole, like Becky said. Have you got your dad in it? Was he in it before you, or how did that work out? Are you 100% South Pole? Or Yeah, great question. So we've been using nothing but South Pole bulls, and, and we've always used full-blood bulls since we got started. Uh, nothing wrong with purebred bulls, and especially in our situation, but we've always used full-blood bulls. Uh, and we started using those in 2014. Um, prior to that, um, we, I guess I should give some context. Uh, Dad got control of, of the farm in 2011. Uh, he, he sold the dairy, which was about a mile down the road in 2011, and, and he was able to buy his dad's place. So our farm actually has been in the Cravens family since uh, 1918. Uh, my great-grandfather bought the original 200 acres in 1918 and uh, so and uh, just a little side note which I'll get to that here, here in a minute uh, Doyle as far as your question but the reason why we call it Lone Pine Farms uh, we just kind of came up with that last year uh, there is one pine tree on our farm and uh, it's a big pine tree and best that we can tell and from stories that have been passed down it was planted by my great uncle in the 1930s before he went off to World War II and was killed in action. Um, so uh, got some sentimental value there and I just always hope that a windstorm doesn't blow it down. <laughs> but, um, but yes, since, since we uh, got control of, of the place in 2011, there was a, a, a guy that had a long-term lease for another couple of years. We bought our first cows in 2013 and started using South Pole Bulls in 2014. And uh, been using them ever since, been breeding up. Uh, most of the, our original cows were beef master. And uh, we've, we've been breeding up since. And um, we've been fortunate enough along the way to also uh, purchase some purebred and some at least three quarter uh, South Pole cows from Stephen Judy Freeman at uh, Woods Fork Cattle Company. So uh, yeah, Dad, uh, since we've, we've gotten started, since we made the transition to South Pole, we kind of did it at the same time, and uh, we've been all in using South Pole bulls since. So at this point, you said you had 180 females. Do you have a lot of um, percentage animals still in your herd at this point, or are you looking at half your herd is purebred, or where are you at with those South Pole numbers in your herd? Yeah, I, so of, of my 80, um, 
I actually was just doing some figuring. I, I think I have about 20 uh, or 25 that left that are 50%. And then everything else is either three quarter or purebred. Uh, dad, he, um, dad is a, is a great manager of cattle. Uh, he's not as, as keen on the paperwork side. So, um, he, he hasn't started registering his yet, uh, whereas I have, uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to get him, uh, started on that. Uh, he, he probably, I'd say half of his are 50% or, or better. Uh, he has a lot of 50%. All the way up, we actually do have some full bloods that we purchased this past year as as well. But, but yeah, um, I'm I'm getting there. And as I keep more heifers and sell older cows, um, I'd say by next year I'll predominantly be purebreds. So tell us a little bit. I know she said Missouri. I hadn't even really looked up where you're from, but yeah. um, are you North Missouri, South Missouri, East, West? How's that layout? And then. I'm gonna guess you're in the fescue country because you're in Missouri. I don't know that there's too much other than fescue. I mean, it's everywhere, I think. But tell us about that angle. Yeah, yeah. So we're in South Central Missouri, um, and uh, we're about 50 miles east of Springfield, which is probably the largest city around us. Um, and uh, yeah, right, right in the middle of the fescue belt. Um, and you know, so so we're we're predominantly fescue-based pastures. Um, we a lot of times, you know, we'll we'll uh, broadcast uh, clover and lespedeza. We we really like improved lespedeza, like Cobe and uh, Korean and uh, Marion. So have have a lot of lespedeza, ladino clover, red clover, orchard grass, bluegrass, but definitely fescue is our predominant forage. And we like Johnson grass also. Um, we uh, we call it the poor man's green grace. So, so is that one of the reasons why you went with the South Pole cows? Because I mean, I know a lot of folks kind of talk to the fact that they think South Poles, and I think a lot of folks can actually talk to this that South Poles seem to handle fescue a little better um, than maybe some other breeds out there. So, is that? maybe one of the reasons why you chose South Poles and started going that direction or why did you even start going down this South Pole path? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we, uh, we, we wanted something that definitely wants something that would work on, on fescue. I mean, cause it's, it's what we have. Um, and, uh, so probably the reason why we went down the South Pole, um, path, uh, is due to Steve and Judy Freeman. Um, I mean, they're, they're kind of like my second parents, uh, really, uh, we, they have a son that, uh, is my age and we, we played ball together growing up and I spent a lot of time over there. And so, um, we try to mimic what they do. I mean, because grass wise and cattle wise, uh, you know, they, they have it down. And what's, what's funny about Steve and Judy is, um, several years ago, people around here thought they were crazy, uh, you know, because they, they weren't running black Angus cows. They weren't running 1,600 pound cows. Uh, they thought they were crazy. What I love about Steve and Judy is they don't care what people think. They're going to do what makes money. And um, so I, I had seen that. And what, what we're starting to find now is people don't think they're crazy anymore. You know, 10, 15 years later, everybody's mimicking what they're doing. And uh, it's, it's really neat to see. 
so, so they're definitely the reason why we started using South Pole bulls. Uh, a lot of the bulls that we used originally came from them. Like whenever they were done with them, we would buy them. Um, you know, those bulls predominantly came from Ralph Boss and Bruce Shanks and Bent Tree Farms. And so, uh, yeah, they're a hundred percent the reason why we started down this path. And, uh, and, you know, we're just trying to, trying to breed up and, and, uh, have a herd that looks like theirs someday. So if you talk about mimicking, you know, Steve and Judy, which is obviously pretty great. And that's, that's pretty neat that the countryside is catching on and following it. I love to hear that progression because I think, you know, some of us have been around this for a while. It makes sense. And we see it as this is what really everybody needs that we need to get away from the set stock grazing. And, you know, you can just grow so much more grass. How are you finding it on your farms? You talk about um, moving from piece to piece or losing land, taking on more land. I'm not really sure how you're, you mentioned that it, it, it gets larger and smaller, whatever your, your acreage under control. Yeah. Are you seeing improvements on that land? How are you managing it? We always like to talk about that. Yeah. So our, our grazing management is uh, hands down been the, the biggest, uh, I, mean, I mean, South Pole is, is great, but I, I think that our grazing management has probably been the biggest driving force in um, profitability and improvement of our farm, no doubt. Um, it's just the South Pole do a better job of handling those, you know, uh, that environment than anything that, that we've found. But so uh, I was kind of doing a little figuring up here. We, um, up until about 2005, uh, the farm that, our, our home farm there was predominantly set stock grazing. My, my grandpa had it. Um, he had a hundred head of cows, ran Charlotte bulls. And his idea of rotating would, would be when those hundred head of cows ran out of grass on this 120 acres, we'd move them over to this other 120 acres and then we move them across the highway to this 100 acres. And, you know, that was the, the rotation. And it just, it's not his fault. It, he didn't know any better. And he honestly didn't have time to, uh, to manage it correctly. Um, but actually, a couple of years before we got control of, of the farm and, and bought our cows, um, we had already started the process of dividing it up some because the guy that was leasing it, um, he, he wanted to, to divide it up. And so obviously I had experience of being around Steve and Judy. I had worked for them building electric fence and that's the route that I, I knew that we wanted to go then we needed to go. And so we went ahead and started dividing it up. And uh, currently uh, we have 32 permanent pastures on our home farm that's divided up with single strand high tensile electric. And um, uh, from there, depending on the grazing season, depending on how many cows we have, depending on uh, how much forage is there, we, we divide with polywire off of that. And, uh, you know, we can, we can have a, you know, a half acre and we can move uh, twice a day if we want, or we can have three acres or, you know, it, our, our grazing system is very flexible. And I, I think that's key, uh, you know, is, is to have that flexibility because you know, certain times of the year, you're going to need to give them a lot smaller area than other times of the year. And uh, we're, we're really big on strip grazing and kind of talking about, 
the differences in acreages that we have control of. So, so this year, the reason why we had control of more acres this winter, um, I had a guy knock on my door and, and, and uh, I'm always looking for more grass. Uh, I think every, every person that wants to expand is always looking for more grass uh, and especially trying to keep down hay, hay costs. So guy knocked on my, my door and wondered if dad and I would be, because he, he, he had seen how we rotate our cows, wondered if we'd be interested in moving sheep for him um, this winter. And I was like, well, I don't know anything about sheep, but what do you have in mind? And so we ended up working out a deal. Uh, he had 150 acres of grass that wasn't ready for sheep. The fencing wasn't ready. Uh, this is a super nice guy. He lives in Ohio, um, but uh, the person that's taking care of his farm, I, I guess, no longer worked there, and he needed somebody to move his sheep. So we took that on this winter in exchange for grazing 150 acres that had good stockpile on it. And um, so that saved us a lot of hay this winter. That's cool. Yeah. So what'd you learn about sheep? A lot. Yeah. So I've always told dad, uh, I think we should do multi-species grazing. And uh, he always tells me whenever I retire from school and I'm there every day, I can do whatever I want. But whenever he's the one there uh, to get the goats or the sheep back in, whenever they uh, get out of the fence, uh, we'll just have cattle. So, uh, yeah, it's it's been interesting. Um, they're kind of a neat. It's, it's hair sheep. They're they're a neat, uh, definitely a neat animal. Uh, we've, we've learned a lot, but I don't think we're ready to take on any of our own yet. Did you run them together, Annie? How did that? No, uh, we actually didn't because the, the, the portion of the farm that we were pasturing with cattle, uh, the reason why they weren't pasturing is they didn't have the, the fence ready for sheep yet. Okay. I think they had about 280 ewes. Uh, well, they still do. We're actually still doing it, but uh, um, had about 280 ewes. And so it's it's quite the, quite the experience to move them. Well, I'm sure that definitely helped having that, you said that additional acreage over this winter with the uh, hay costs, because we all know that that's kind of the biggest, seems like the biggest expense for most uh, cattle producers um, is the amount of hay that we go through or not go through in a, in a winter time, especially if you have grass, obviously, if you can keep grazing, that's awesome. Um, but do you think the fluctuating acreages that you guys are in control of is going to be a, a playing factor in um, the management of your cattle. I know you were talking about, um, you're really into pedigrees. I think I read that on your profile. Yeah. And, uh, so obviously animal selection and, and the culling process is going to be a big part of that. And so I can see that kind of being something really helpful if you need to do some culling and you lose a little acreage here and there, but gain it back later, then culling could be a great tool for that as well. Right. Yeah. And, and really like, I, I want to be at, at the point where when I'm selling cows, um, I'm selling good cows, like, the, you know, that uh, it's, it's not coals, you know, that they're good bred cows that it's going to make somebody else money. And so um, we're almost there. I, I mean, I, I think we are there. I'm going to be selling some really good cows uh, later this spring. Um, it it kind of gets hard to pick out which ones you're going, you're going to have to sell. Um Maybe keep all those heifers because you know you're going through and like man that's a good cow, um, but um, as we've been doing the breed up, you know I I want to keep uh, things that have you know have higher percentages. So 
there's going to be some really good 50%, really good 75% animals that have to say goodbye to. Um, but yeah, as, as far as the, uh, the, the numbers, uh, we are, we're on the high end of where we need to be stocked right now. So we are planning on selling about 50 head of bred cows just, um, you know, because of fertilizer cost and because hay cost, um, talking about hay, we, we normally buy about half of our hay and then the, the rest of our hay, we don't own our own hay equipment. Uh, we have a neighbor that we hire, uh, but we have two rent places. There's about 50 acres that's hayable that uh, we can't pasture. There's just not the infrastructure. Uh, maybe the owner isn't interested in having cattle on it. Um, so we, we cut them for hay twice a year. And so we do apply chemical fertilizer to those places. Um, that's pretty much the only place that we do. Uh, but um, since we can't pasture it and put those nutrients back, you know, we can't just keep, keep robbing it. So. So you talk about wanting to sell some animals. Um, maybe that'd be a good time to talk about what are you going to do with them? Are you going, how are you going to sell them? Do you have neighbors lined up to sell them? And then when you discuss the cows, go ahead and tell us what you're doing with your calves. Are you direct marketing? You finish them out, um, take them to the sale barn or, you know, what happens? Yeah. So, uh, I've, I've really been working hard to try to develop some relationships with grass finishers for the steers. And I, I know that I'm not the only person in the South Pole world trying to do that. Uh, but um, I, I definitely think that that's, that's where we need to be looking. Um, so I, I think I've, I've developed a relationship with, with a guy. Um, he was going to take 45 last year of our steers. We had a good group of steers. They got terrible drought. He wasn't able to take them at that time. So we actually end up sending them to Joplin Regional Stockyards, which is a very big sale barn. Uh, not that's about two hours away from us, and uh, they they did okay. Uh, they were about ten cents back from the number one black steers, uh, which I that's per pound. You know, I can handle that. Um, you know, because of the efficiencies of them. Um, but also did some figuring, and had we. Uh, been able to sell them off the farm and not have trucking costs, not have commission, um, and just sell them at the average, you know, for the for the uh, state. Uh, I think we would have made about three thousand dollars more. So uh, obviously, we we want to be able to sell them directly off the farm to grass finishers. Uh, but if that doesn't work out and we can put together a big group, uh, they'll they'll do pretty well at Joplin. Talking about the bread cows, um, yeah, so I, I have a few people lined up. Um, one of the greatest things that, that I've experienced about the South Pole breed is meeting people. Uh, believe it or not, there's not a lot of things that I like to talk about, but I can talk about cattle all day and grazing all day. Um, and so I, I've met, met a lot of friends, met a lot of acquaintances through the South Pole breed and uh, I got people that I text pretty, pretty frequently that I've, I've met because of cattle. So I have a couple of guys that um, are lined up that I think will definitely want to buy my 25 cows. I guess I'll have to get to work on marketing dads. Folks, I'm going to take a quick break real fast from Rodney's interview and let everyone know about the 14th annual South Pole Field Day and cattle auction that is coming up June 24th and 25th at Fourth Quarter Ranch in Roseland, Louisiana. 
If you are interested in mingling and connecting with like-minded farmers and learning more about the South Pole breed, this is the event that you need to come to. If you want to find out more, you can visit us online, southpole.com, southpolepoll.com. Hit the events tab and scroll down to field day. There you can find out more information and register for the event. It's just $50 for this two-day event, and it's a one that you will not want to miss. All right, folks, back to the show. Quick question for you, Rodney, on the back, yeah. back on the steers. Um, how are you... How are you going about building relationships with other grass finishing farms to how are you finding these guys and how are you building those relationships so that you can make that market for yourself? Well, the, the guy that I'm trying to, to uh, develop this market with, um, I text Bruce Shanks and I said, Hey, you have any ideas of people looking for steers? And he, he gave me this guy's name and, uh, and, and phone number. And it just kind of went from there. Um, and uh, so I, I need to check back in and uh, he, he bought six head from us in the fall. I was hoping that they would do well and maybe, maybe he'll want to buy them again this year. I, I need to keep checking back in and see how they're doing. But uh, yeah, I, I think it's just about, uh, you know, letting people know kind of how you manage your animals. Uh, let them, let them know what type of animals you have. And then, um, you know, just, just talking to them, just, just trying to be, be honest, be fair. Uh, you know, I, I price them fair. I'm not going to try to price gouge. I just want fair, you know? And, uh, so if you do that, I, I think that you'll be able to develop lasting relationships. I know you do a little, you mean, you obviously have a Facebook presence, um, on the South pole forum page, as Dole mentioned earlier, you are already posting pictures of um, some beautiful looking animals. So do you use uh, any social media to reach out to other producers or is this mostly cold calls or references from other folks? Sometimes people will message me on, on Facebook and, and uh, you know, I've, I've made some acquaintances that way. Uh, we also have some semen available uh, that we've collected on a 6413 bull. And I've met a lot of people that way, you know, they'll, they'll call and uh, we kind of make acquaintances uh, that way as well um as far as posting on social media my wife gives me a hard time um the only posts that i make are about cattle uh she says i have more pictures of cows on my phone than my three kids uh and she might be right uh so yeah sometimes i have to kind of check myself and make sure i'm only posting about once a week on uh, the south pole forum but i enjoy uh, reading other people's posts on there. I've learned a lot about cattle and bloodlines and so forth from Dave Roberts. You know, he'll post on there and, and uh, then I'll go look up the pedigree. And so I, I enjoy when there's content on there. So if it's getting kind of slow, sometimes I'll put something on there just to spice it up, I guess. Sometimes we talk about challenges or problems to overcome, you know, on marketing or genetics yeah. or whatever. Do you want to touch on that a little bit? Yeah. Yeah, so um, something that I was thinking about just as a challenge to the breed, and uh, this is kind of a catch-22. I, I, you may think I'm crazy when I say this, but I think one of the biggest challenges to the breed right now is actually the popularity of the breed and the um, high prices that animals are bringing, okay? Now, that's a great thing, but here's what I mean by that. If I go out and give $7,000 for a cow and, or I'm sorry, a heifer even, 
and then she turns out and she's a dud, I'm probably not going to be as ready to cull her as I should be. And so I guess that my biggest worry maybe for the breed is due to that huge popularity and, you know, great prices, which are great for a producer. I'm afraid that we might have the challenges of um, maybe watering down the, the breed with in, inferior breeding stock. Uh, because also, if you give large amount of money for an animal, you're probably going to be uh, tempted to keep a bull out of that animal. So I think that's one of the challenges that the breed has going forward. Uh, you know, South Pole cattle are great, but just like any other breed, there's some great ones and there's some poor ones in the breed. And we just got to make sure that we uh, keep getting rid of the poor ones and keep uh, breeding up the uh, great ones. So what's a great one in your opinion? What are you looking for in terms of your, your heifers, your bulls and your genetics that you are looking for out in the pasture in your animals? And you're saying, yes, that's, these, these are a keeper that I need to keep those lines going. So what yeah. are some characteristics? Well, just, just, just what the breed was, was built on. I mean, obviously I'm looking for heat tolerance. I'm, I'm looking for the moderate frame. Uh, a lot of what we had to start with the beef master breed great cattle, but they were too big. And so we've, you know, been having to select for the smaller frame bulls to, to uh, get that, that frame size down. Uh, fescue tolerance is a huge one and that goes along with heat tolerance. Um, looking for good disposition, looking for easy flushing, um, looking for high fertility. Uh, you know, we, um, sometimes, uh, you know, I, we, we just preg checked last Saturday uh, with ultrasound and so I'm, I'm going back and I'm looking, all right, who, who bred in the first, you know, first cycle. Um, and I'm definitely going to look to keep those, you know, I want to want to uh, definitely uh, increase our, our fertility, looking for good feet and legs. Uh, and I'm looking for good udders. As far as picking out bulls, like I want to look back in a pedigree and I want to see great cows stacked throughout the pedigree. And if I don't know much about those cows, I'm calling Dave Roberts. I'm like, tell me about this cow. And if he says she's a good one, then I'm probably gonna uh, be, be willing to give that bull a try. I guess I was wondering a little bit, you talk about, uh, you know, bad ones and good ones. So what could a new person, somebody that's maybe new to the breed, when they're looking at cattle like that, um, what, would you have any tips for them as far as, you know, looking at the whole herd, um, you know, to be able to tell, cause you left out a very valid point. As we spend more money, it gets harder to lose that money by, yeah. you know, getting rid of it when it doesn't perform like it should. However, if we don't, we're just, we're bringing in the junk. We're allowing yeah. the junk, you know, we're, we are where we are because uh, th they told us a story about Teddy once. He bought a $20,000 show cow put her out in the pasture, thought he was going to raise grass-fed beef. You know, this was a long time ago when Teddy first bought cattle and it didn't work. And he ended up giving the cow away. Yeah. And that's hard to do. But that's why we are where we are. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's key. And um, I'm not one to be talking because I've never I've never sold real expensive cattle. I've never I've never bought real expensive cattle. Now I bought pretty expensive bulls, but uh, yeah, I I guess that's that's just my 
my biggest concern. Now, I, I know there's people that, that are willing to do that. I, I know of a guy that I give a hard time for that, uh, for that you can't outbid him at, at a sale, but he, he calls hard and I, I respect him for that. Um, but I, I'm just afraid, you know, sometimes animals I see posted for sale for high prices, I'm thinking, ah, <laughs> cow needs to go to the sale barn, you know? So, um, I guess I would just, uh, caution people, you know, if, if you can, um, look for those, those traits that the breed was, was, uh, designed to fit, you know, what, what Teddy, uh, sought out, uh, to accomplish need to try to stick to those. And if you can find good cattle, to get started. Great. If not breed up with what you have and use the best bulls you can afford. So. Got a question for you there, Rodney. I know a lot of, of farmers have full-time day jobs. Um, so how do you, but you've got a pretty substantial herd here and a pretty substantial amount of land. So how do you have time to farm and rotationally graze uh, this amount of, this amount of animals? Yeah. The, the answer to that Becky is I don't. Um, and if my dad wasn't there on the farm, we wouldn't be able to manage the cow the way we do. Uh, we wouldn't be able to have as many. And we certainly wouldn't be able to to graze the way that we do. So, so yeah, um, he he's the reason why we can do that. Uh, hopefully, you know, I, I can retire in 15 years and and uh, be there all the time. But yeah, most of my farm work happens on evenings and weekends and summertime. And so, uh, so yeah, if if Dad wasn't there, it wouldn't be possible. Truly, family operation then. Oh yeah, yeah. Mom, mom helps. Uh, my four-year-old daughter, she wants me to take her anytime I can. And, and, uh, so, so yeah, it's a family operation. Yeah. Perfect cows for, for that then for sure. Absolutely. So we're coming into spring. Are you, you talk about minimizing hay. Did you feed hay this winter? Did oh yeah. You get some snow? Um, are you, are you back on grass? Is it a little bit too early for that? Are you holding off because it needs to reach a certain height before you start? Tell us your strategy right now yeah doyle uh pretty much yes to all of those okay um so uh normally we we try to hold off and let our grass get get a good head start um ahead of us this Boot year stage, third leaf well it just just depends on on the the uh, area and how how hard it was grazed previous year and everything this yeah. year i tried to uh i i convinced dad that we ought to go ahead and start grazing right at the end of March. Uh, we'd had some good warm grass, or I'm sorry, good warm weather. Grass was really coming on, and uh, I said that we were ready. And we quickly uh, rotated through about 100 acres, you know, gave them big areas and, and uh, moved them quickly. And then we've had three hard, pretty hard freezes since then, and we had to, uh, the the biggest herders about 130 in there we had to kind of dry lot them again and uh well i mean on like a probably 10 acre area and unroll hay so um as far as feeding hay this winter um we actually had a, a good winter for grazing i think we we fed uh see, we didn't feed any hay until about the first of february i think uh, which is good for us and uh a lot of that was was due to getting that additional uh, land to graze this this winter. We strip grazed there, 
and got 75 days of grazing on 60 pairs there, I think. Um, and so normally we, we figure on um, have enough hay to, to last as many as 100 days, um, but with the hopes of only feeding 60 days. Um, I think we still have two barns that are almost full, but we would like to leave those full because I know hay is going to be expensive this year. So we're right at that point that if it would quit freezing at night, which we had a hard frost last night, um, we would be ready to start grazing. Do you do uh, calving in spring or do you do fall calving? And then that leads me to the next question of if you're rotating fast in springtime, which I think a lot of grazers do when you guys start actually doing the rotations, how do you deal with the calves? Yes, that is the hardest challenge uh, to rotating the way that we do. And our, our farm is divided by a highway also. Uh, it's about half and half. And um, that's the thing I hate the most about calving season. Whenever you're rotating and it's time to, to move to a far, farther place away, uh, a lot of, I mean, if we can, we'll try to leave the gate open or, or leave a wire down for one day, but, you know, you get much past that, uh, one or two days, then they start trying to eat regrowth. Uh, so, yeah, that's a big challenge, but we usually have our animals in small enough areas, uh, and we don't have a lot of timber or brush for them to hide in, uh, that most of our places we can, you know, easily find calves. But yeah, that's, that's hard. So as far as our calving season, um, we've predominantly been fall calving since we got started. And I, I know that goes against South Pole, uh, the strengths of the South Pole. Uh, it's worked well for us. And the only reason why we, we are predominantly fall calving is because that's how we got started. Uh, I mentioned before, a lot of our cows were kind of Steve and Judy Freeman's coals. And so uh, some of the first ones that we bought uh, were something that didn't breed in their 42 day window in the summer. A lot of two year olds, you know, that maybe just didn't breed back. And uh, so bought, bought them, uh, still have most of them that have stayed in our, our window in the fall and kept offspring off of them that have stayed in our window in the fall. But that being said, I think we have 55 spring calvers right now also. And we are looking at transitioning, kind of slowly transitioning our herd to spring um the main reason why is uh we we don't pamper our cattle at all we don't baby them uh you may have seen a video i posted the other day and we we had some pretty thin cows this year uh that got bred early and then we made them work pretty hard uh, and um we we kind of have trouble getting our yearling heifers to breed in december because they're not gaining weight uh we just don't have the you know, good enough forage to have them gaining weight at that time. So I think transitioning to spring in the future will, will work well for us because we will have good forage for them to be gaining right before breeding. And I think our, our breed up percentages will be higher. As far as mature cows, our, our mature cows breed great in the winter, but those yearlings that are growing and those, even those two-year-olds, not as well. So. so while we're talking about this, you talk about coals, and I'm glad you called them that and getting them from Woods Fork Cattle Company. Yeah. Um, I feel like we should talk maybe just a little bit for people listening. You know, Woods Fork is a good place to buy coals from if they don't yeah. breed in their 42 day season and the way they're doing things, you know, and then you take them on um, and you put them with great bulls 
bulls that are potentially better than the calves, you're still upgrading and you're still, I guess, watching the cows. Like if it was a true fallout animal, you're going to know it and you're going to move it, right? What's your right. thoughts on that? Because we say coals, we're all trading livestock, you know, making room for new ones, however it works. And yeah. yet, how do we determine what's a true coal? Is it trusting the integrity of the breeder um, and using a little of your own intuition, intelligence? Give us some thoughts on that. Yeah, I, I guess I, I should have specified that. Yeah, Steve and Judy Freeman, their coals are like, a lot of people the best cows um but they they are so hard on uh you know that 42 day window and uh a lot of what i actually what, what i bought from them uh recent years has has been uh yearling heifers out of out of first calf heifers that were just too small they thought were too small to breed in july and so i've bought them and exposed them for the first time and November, December, uh, just because they were, they were, you know, a little bit too small, but, um, but yeah, they're, they're good cattle. Uh, I feel good about buying from them because they're honest and I know how hard they've culled for so many years that, um, you know, it's, it's not like just going to the sale barn and buying an animal. You, you know what you're getting. Um, and like I said, I, I feel good about where our cattle are at now because, those original cows that I bought in 2014 from them, um, you know, I've, I've kept offspring. And if those heifers didn't breed as uh, yearlings, they end up, I sold them as feeders. And uh, so I, I feel like I've, I've increased the fertility that way. Um, now this year I bought spring calving cows from them that had never missed. Uh, they just had too many heifers coming into the herd. And uh, I bought some really good young spring cows from they had to sell. And um, so I feel good about those also. And that's a big portion of what our spring calving herd is. You ask about equipment. I think you ask about primary equipment used on the farm. Yeah. Talk about that. Sure. Yeah, we try to be pretty low input. So like a, a UTV or a four-wheeler is a predominant uh, equipment used on our farm. Um, and, you know, that's for moving poly wire and uh, posts and moving cattle. Uh, we, we do have a bush hog, actually two bush hogs uh, or brush hogs. I think one is about 30 years old, probably. And, uh, and, and then one that's a little bit newer. And the reason why we have those is uh, to keep landlords happy, uh, you know, keep uh, our, our tenants happy. Now, the... Uh, uh, we haven't talked about this, but we, we actually do use some herbicide, uh, spot spraying now. Uh, but when we first got control of the farm, uh, a lot of it uh, was grown up with, uh, with oak and, and, and hickory um, saplings. And so we, we use herbicide to control that. And uh, now we just occasionally spot spray buck brush or, or uh, oak saplings. Um, but we try to use it, you know, smart because I know that it has effects on the soil. Um, as far as that goes, uh, just a tractor and a bale unroller, and we have a small livestock trailer that we move cattle around to rent farms with, but we try to keep it pretty, pretty minimal as far as our equipment. Yeah. And that's, in my opinion, that's about all you need to. So <laughs> keep yeah. it, keep it simple. Well, do you have any other, um, 
ideas that you want to share with our listeners? Like, uh, we kind of covered grazing strategies. What about management keeping? You said, or record keeping management strategies. You said that was maybe uh, your segment of the farm, your forte. Yeah. So I use Google Sheets a lot during my day job. And uh, I've started incorporating that a lot on the farm. And uh, especially during calving season, uh, you know, if dad's there and, and he tags a calf, he can enter it in on a calving or calving record there. If I'm the one there, you know, uh, I can enter it in and we can all see it. And, uh, you know, like our preg check information, I'll, I'll put it in a Google sheet and then I can sort it, uh, you know, based on, uh, you know, what cows we think that we might be going to sell and, and, and so forth. So Google Sheets is really the predominant uh, record keeping device that I use. And then uh, as far as registering, I've, uh, you know, really figured out how to use the South Pole website. And there's a lot of really good features on there as far as being able to turn in your own stuff that uh, um, I, I think really helps producers as well. I like what you brought up about using the Google Drive files. You know, if people aren't familiar with that, you have your sheets, you have your docs, which is your sheets is your spreadsheet and your docs is your, basically your word processor, your, you can type your notes, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And you can sync it across multiple platforms, you know, your iOS, your Android, um, you can actually run it on your iPad, your iPhone, your computer, you know, you can have it and it's just, it's so easy and it updates and, you know, for people that aren't familiar with it, it's just, it's great. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And the, the, the great thing is it can be accessed and, and they can input data and then I can see it and, and even if I'm out there. So yeah, it, it's great. Uh, you, you'd ask about timely tips. Uh, just a couple of things that I want to mention there. Um, so one, one tip that I would encourage, uh, like the older generation, um, is if you want your kids and grandkids to be involved in the farm, like give them some, give them some responsibilities and give them some input on decisions. Um, that's one thing that is huge. Uh, dad, dad lets me make some decisions, you know, and has my whole life, uh, you know, probably since I was 10 years old, he, he would let me make decisions on the farm. And I think that's a big reason why I'm so interested in it. Uh, whenever we were dairying, I can remember whenever the uh, AI uh, bull catalog would come, I would run the mailbox and I would pick out what bulls we were going to breed our cows to. And he was fine with that. He, he, he gave me some control. And, and so uh, to the older generation, I would just say, um, if you want your kids to be involved, give them some responsibility and, and give them some, some input. I love that because, um, you know, especially right now, a lot of farmers are starting to age out and we're going to be going through a pretty big transition of um, the younger generations taking over. And I say younger generations as in they're probably, you know, in their forties um, at that point of taking over fifties. Um, but it's super important because there's a lot of farmland being lost to all kinds of things and a lot of really productive farmland. And as we know, grasslands are a really important ecosystem and managing cattle on them is essential to keep it cycling and keeping carbon being sequestered and uh, the water cycle healthy and all that good stuff. And uh, that's one of the things I love about being a cattle farmer is that I get to help contribute to that. 
And uh, so hopefully the, the older generations see that there's, there's, there's value in that and helping the, the younger ones get going. So, yeah, I love that. Yep. Of course, we want to give him a chance to tell where people can find him online or contact him if he wants to be found, if he wants to be bothered or. Yeah. So uh, we don't have a, like a farm Facebook page or, or Instagram or anything like that. But uh, I, I am on Facebook, Rodney Cravens. And uh, also my contact information is on the South Pole website uh, under my member profile. And, and if, if anybody just wants to, you know, maybe uh, look, looking for cattle or, uh, want to talk about cattle or, you know, find out about maybe some, some bull, if, if he's a good one or, or not. I don't know everything, but I'm always learning and, uh, I love to talk cattle. So, um, you can look me up on there and I, I'd be happy to try to help. Run that one time again. What town are you in? Just cause somebody listening, you know, where are you at Missouri? South central. What was the town name? Yeah. South central little town called Hartville. And uh, been here my whole life, uh, except for I went off to college. So, so yeah, this is hometown in, in Hartville, Missouri. Well, thanks for giving us your time today. Uh, it, was, it was fun learning more about you. And uh, congratulations again on your um, newly appointed board uh, member. So glad, to, glad you're here with us and can't wait to learn more about you. All right. Thank you, guys. Thank you for everything you do. Looking forward to working with you and like to thank you as well enjoyed the time all right thanks becky thanks doyle see you all right folks thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast i hope you found rodney's south pole story relatable and educational thank you rodney for uh, giving us your time for to get all that on uh, on the podcast if you want to find rodney online again you can follow him on facebook his own personal page he actually has a lot of cattle and farming posts that he puts on that page himself and if you want his contact information you can find him on the south pole website under the member directory page if you want to find out more about the south pole breed itself then you can go to southpole.com and you can also follow us on Facebook under the South Pole Grass Cattle Association page or the South Pole Forum page where there's a lot of great interaction and engagement going on there. So folks, until next time, happy grazing.